Alright, so Matthew 19, so take a look, verses 1 through 12, and, uh, and we'll read through it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. So it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, it says, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So Jesus says, Well, at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. And he said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So Jesus answered, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs, because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So, you know, we're we're going through the Bible here. And, uh, you know, going right straight through it. And... Um, sometimes you don't really, you know, get to topics and things that are uh, easy or fun, really, to talk about. And this would really be one of them, you know, marriage and divorce. Because, uh, you know, the way the Bible is going to frame it and the way we're going to talk about it is, uh, is probably not popular opinion. I remember when I was in college, um, I had a, a friend of mine. And I think I was in my last year in college. I was on like the six and a half year plan, okay? And that's kind of the way it went for me. Um, my friend was kind of strange. He was on the four year plan, so you know, it's strange. So he was, uh, he was married, right? So he got married young. And, uh, and I forget what age, he was early 20s when he got married. And um, I can remember um, him and his wife only being married uh, a couple of years and struggling a lot struggling a lot. They were both uh, super unhappy. And you could tell it was getting worse because when we would go uh, to church together, you know, they would, they would you know, be in opposite you know, places you know, you know, while they're there. And like, oh my goodness, you know, it's getting bad. And I remember he asked me uh, to come over his house because he was just really stressing. He's like, man, could you just come over and you know, let's just talk you know, about you know, marriage and divorce and let's just pray and I said, okay, you know, I'll come down. I don't know how much, you know, help I will be, you know, at that time, you know, being younger, but, you know, let's just see what happens. So I go down there, and, um, you know, he's like, he's like, Jared, like, what do you think? You know, can, can I, you know, get out of this? You know, should I get out of this? Is, is divorce like a legitimate option? And so, from my reference point, right, this is my friend, right? I care about my friend. This is my friend. He's my friend. And, you know, to see him hurting and miserable, I mean miserable, and hating his marriage, 
and to also know uh, that she is hating, miserable, hating her marriage. She's hating it. And so from my reference point, you know, it's like, and even, you know, growing up in the church, it's like, well, could God really want them to be together and, and them hating, like, each other's guts and no love at all there? Like, it just... And, you know, talking with him, he's like, you know, uh, pastor so-and-so, you know, he said that, you know, divorce, you, you know, can only happen on these particular guidelines. And, and, and I remember sitting there and being like, you know, maybe, but, but like part of me is like, I don't want to see him suffer anymore either. You know, so it was difficult and we wrestled with it. And unfortunately, you know, they ended up did, uh, they did end up getting a divorce. And, uh, and he ended up, uh, you know, remarrying actually uh, a couple more times, uh, unfortunately. Um, but it was a struggle. You know, it was difficult. And, uh, he, you know, he talked with me and he talked to several other pastors. And it's tough when your heart is in it. You know, it's tough when your heart is in it to make, like, these big decisions. And I can say, um, personally, uh, being around uh, marriage and divorce... You know, and and I, I don't have um, permission. I didn't ask people to share all the details and all of the things. Right? There's not a lot of us here, you know, this morning. But you know, it goes online, and who knows, you know, who might hear it. Um, there, there's a story there of um, you know a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, like a lot of grief, pain. Um, very difficult, very difficult. And, and mine is more like. Um, from uh, from the child's, you know, and and it is tough. It's really tough. It's difficult. So I'd like to share all the details in the whole story because the good news is right. The good news. Everybody say good news. The good news is say good news one more time. The good news is is that if God says who He is, which I believe He is, within my story. And there's a lot of parts and pieces to that story. It's pretty complicated and layered. But God has shown himself to be faithful. That's an amen one right there. God has shown himself to be completely faithful. To take a hopeless, everybody say hopeless, hopeless situation and actually bring hope to it, breathe life into it, and create something totally different. And I believe only because the door was not completely shut on what he could do. And so I'm hoping this morning, like, that we can gain hope, you know, from that. Because who knows, you know, what our marriages are like and our relationships are like and people that we know what their marriages are like and what their relationships are like. See, the reason why we come to church is so we can have that hope that God can do it. He can actually take care of it. And to leave it in His hands is the best thing for us to do. So, um, what we're going to do this morning, and I put a, you know, a question on Facebook as far as like our Facebook page, you know, what do people want to hear, you know, about marriage? And I had like, uh, I think six questions on there. But the goofy thing is with the Facebook uh, page ads is that if you're on a computer, 
right? You could see the question, and then it was like in a poll form. So you'd submit a vote, um, and, and then the polls are there. But you can't see the poll if you're on your cell phone, which most people are looking on their cell phone. So it's very goofy. I'll not do that anymore because you don't get like a true sample, you know, of what's going on. So, uh, so I asked, you know, the, the question was basically, you know, we've arrived at, because we're going right through the Bible, you know, we've arrived at, and pick this on purpose, we've arrived at marriage and divorce. What are some things you might want to hear in a message, you know, pertaining to marriage and divorce? Because there is a lot of misconceptions, controversy, confusion surrounding exactly, you know, what it is and what's acceptable and what God says and what the Bible says. Um, so we had a, some interesting feedback. Um, and, uh, and so we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. And we might even touch uh, a little bit about it next week because I don't know if we'll get to everything today. Um, but we'll hit three questions today. Three big questions. So the first question uh, that we'll take a look at is uh, what is marriage? So we'll look at that. What is marriage? That's the first question we'll look at. Then we'll take a look at what does God say about divorce? And then the third question, what if a couple falls out of love? So those would be our top three questions that are actually, and they're in the passage, believe it or not. So our passage will bring us to the answers to those questions. So, what is marriage? That's question number one. So let's take a look at that and we'll figure it out. And uh, specifically, right, what is biblical marriage? And we have a picture, right, on the next slide. Whenever I think about uh, marriage, and we're asking the question of marriage, and I don't know if you saw the movie Princess Bride, you know, but I always think of this guy. You know, marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Right? Remember that guy in his annoying voice? You know, and, and I never saw that movie uh, until I met Julie, and, and I was watching, I was like, this is just so weird and so bizarre, but... I kind of like it, you know. It's kind of, this is a really weird thing. And, and the guy that sticks out in my mind, you know, is inconceivable. You know, that guy that just constantly goes around saying that. And Julie, you got to ask Julie. So ask, when you see Julie, you know, downstairs, ask her to do her, um, I forget the Spanish guy's name, but ask her to do, I think it's Diego Montoya, right? Anigo An- Diego Montoya. So ask her downstairs to do the impression. She does a really good on she goes, you know, do Diego or, or Diego Montoya uh, imitation. You kill my father, prepare to die. You know, she does, she does really good on it. So you got to ask her to do that. Um, so what is marriage, right? Because, so this is the big issue. So before we start talking about how we can get out of it, we got to like figure out exactly what the heck it even is. That's the important thing. That's the part that matters here. So what exactly is it? Uh, is it just that piece of paper that the justice of the peace might sign? Um, could it be just a couple that's just supremely committed to each other uh, and, and lives together? Um, does God say, you know, in His Word exactly what it is? So, let's, uh, we're going to take a look at that. And we will arrive at that as we take a look at our passage. Let's take a look here. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things. So everybody say thanks. Thanks, right? He's just finished saying these things. What the heck was he just talking about? Well, here's what he was just talking about. He was telling them about um, how to be great in the kingdom of God, right? They were arguing, they were fighting. Who's the best? Who's the greatest? And he's just like, oh man, you guys are just like on, on the wrong, wrong wavelength right now. 
And so he started to tell them what's actually great in the kingdom of heaven. And then so he starts telling them about humility. And then he starts telling them about the value of the human life, about how important, how loved we are by God. And then he uses uh, the illustration, right, of the lost sheep. And he says, man, he says, you know, if one leaves the 99, I'll go back and get him and we'll just all rejoice when we go and get him. And who knows when that might happen in life for somebody, you know. But it's still rejoicing going on because he's just so happy and thrilled to have his son or his daughter back, just like the prodigal son. Throw the coat on him, have a big party. And this guy's like limping home, hoping he could just like live like the servants. So Jesus tells him about that. And then the third thing he tells him about is really the critical sort of mark that should mark us as Christians, right? One skill that we should really have down that God has shown us that he's made aware to us, one that we can't get wrong, it's just too important, is forgiveness. And so he would start talking about um, forgiveness and the parable of the unmerciful servant. And we talked about all that stuff already. So after saying these things, talking about greatness in the kingdom, humility, forgiveness, we now uh, see him, it says he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan, which means now he's heading to Jerusalem. Now he's getting, he's on his way towards the cross. His ministry is coming to a close here. And it says, verse 2, it's easy to just read over this and just be like, oh, wow, okay. Verse 2, large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Jesus, man, it's just, apparently he never had a problem getting a crowd. Just didn't have that issue. Because he just was just rich in his power and he's just healing people wherever he went. And it's interesting to see the response of some people. Verse 3, says, some Pharisees came to him to test him. So he's there, large crowds, healing people, doing good things, doing great things. You have the Pharisees sitting there, probably standing there, folding their arms, glasses on their nose. You ever have that teacher? Glasses on the nose. No facial expression, stone face. Critical, judgmental. Can he do that? Can he say that? Is that allowed? Is that okay? Meanwhile, he's doing amazing things. And that's how you can tell when there's a a pharisaical spirit. Say, Pharisee. Ickle. See, that's fun to say. It's easier to say, pharisaical. Right? Pharisaical spirit, right? Pharisaical spirit is when God is doing something great. It's when He's doing something good. And it's obvious and we can see it. And instead of being happy and enjoyable about it, we sit there and we get very critical about it. And I understand that, like, you want to make sure people are doing it for the right reasons. You want to make sure, you know, they're doing it uh, the quote-unquote right way. And the, you know, a holy way. But at the same time, if, man, it's happening right in front of us and God is doing a good thing and He's changing somebody's heart and somebody's life or He's blessing some person or some church or some organization, should be happy and thrilled about that. Hopefully we're not stuck on, well, then what about me? And like, what about us? And But I don't like, you know, the way they do that over there and God shouldn't have blessed them for that. No, no. 
pharisaical, right? That's what they do. That's not what we should do. So it gives us a clue into these guys. So he is healing and they're scheming, right? So here's the big question. And this will get us to our question about what is marriage, right? So this gets us there. It says, uh, some Pharisees, right, came to him to test him, right? That's them scheming. They asked, here's the question, right? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? There is a mindset in that day, okay? Just like there's a mindset in our day about divorce, which we'll take a look at in a second. The mindset in that day was like these two schools of thought. There was this, basically two rabbis, two religious teachers. One rabbi, Halil, everybody say Halil. Halil. And then there's Shammai. Say Shammai. So we got Halil, and we got Shammai. So we got two groups. Halil. This rabbi believed that when it says in the Old Testament, if your wife is unclean or unfavorable, you may give her a certificate of divorce. So the question is, well, what does unclean mean? What does unfavorable mean? Displeasing. What does that mean? Well, that's up to Halil or Shammai, depending on which school of thought or which rabbi you go with. Halil says, well, if she stresses you out too much, if she ruins your meal, if she doesn't seem supportive, if she's maybe not keeping up with herself as much as maybe somebody else you think is, write her certificate of divorce. She better be waiting on you hand and foot and just being perfect in your eyes. Otherwise, according to this rabbi and his school of thought, right or should they get divorced? Moses said it's okay. Then you have Shammai. There's obviously a lot of people, a lot of men, right, over here that are buying into Halil. Makes it easy for the guys, right? Then, there's another uh, idea, another pop idea of the day. Shammai. Never ever divorce, no matter what ever happens. Never ever ever Never. So they pose this question to Jesus. So he's going to offend somebody based on how he answers. Right? Because there's groups of people that believe each thing. And so it's always the goal of the Pharisees is to try and trap Jesus. It's always what they want to do. Because too many people were just liking him and admiring him and appreciating him and getting the glory which they wanted. So in our day, right, in our day, what's going on in our day? What are the messages? We don't, you know, we don't even know about Halil and Shammai. But, but we got some ideas and we have some thoughts on marriage and what it is. And um, I don't know if uh, the biblical idea on marriage is really sent out, portrayed, communicated clearly exactly what it is. Um, I think that... Uh, a lot of maybe entertainers, actors, actresses, people who have a large following, they carry a pretty heavy voice as far as what 
marriages. And uh, there's studies and there's research. So let's see, you know, what's going on and what's happening. So, let's take a look here. Some celebrity quotes. Cameron Diaz, right? Here's what she says, right? We know Cameron Diaz. I don't think we should live our lives in relationships based off of old traditions that don't suit our world any longer. Right? It's her take on marriage. Diane Kruger, another actress. Without sounding pessimistic, I learned that I don't believe in marriage. I believe in a commitment that you make in your heart. There's no paper that will make you stay. Right? That's her take on it. Then you got Jenny McCarthy, married to Jim Carrey. I'm very comfortable not having to have a certificate. I think there's something wonderful about people wanting to stay together because they want to stay together. And then, of course, you can't get like away from marriage in this day and age without talking about Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian, 72 hours of tying the knot. 72 hours. Kim Kardashian then took to her personal blog and offered fans this explanation for her marriage's demise in 72 hours. It just didn't turn out to be the fairy tale I had so badly hoped for. Like she even gave enough chance for it to be a fairy tale. What is that? So it's interesting, right? There's this trend, right, going on, right? There's this mindset, marriage, divorce. There's something going on there. In 1970, divorce statistics showed that 72% of the population was married. So 1970, 72% married. While the number of people married in 2002 was less than 60%. So, what is the number one reason why couples file for divorce? Number one reason. Does anybody know? What's that? Grow apart. Yep, can't communicate that well. Maybe fall out of love, something like that. Number one, number one, irreconcilable differences. When you can't put anything else, you just say she's not working. Irreconcilable differences. Divorce statistics show that about 80% of all, 80% of all marriages end because of irreconcilable differences. And that gives us limited insight into the real reasons of divorce. So it's very interesting, right? So we have our ideas today. Maybe not Hillel and Shammai, but there's this idea, there's this thread of whatever's in here is outdated, doesn't really work, and um, whatever really works best for me, that's what works. It's pretty scary. And if we can't make it work... Irreconcilable differences. Just throw it away. That's it. So, what is Jesus going to say to answer this question? Right? We didn't look at his response yet. So what does he say? Let's take a look. So he's going to fall into their trap. Let's see what happens. Verse 4. He says, Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning... The Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become 
one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So Jesus, right? They're talking about what Moses is doing. Moses wrote down, or was told by God that you could give this certificate of divorce under particular terms. And the rabbis interpreted what the particular terms could be. Jesus didn't even get into that conversation. He says, you know what? That's what happened with them. They're in a bad spot. He said the original intent, right? The part of the original plan was not even to get there. It's part of their hard hearts. So in your uh, bulletin there, some fill-ins, right? Biblical marriage, right? Biblical marriage, and it'll come up on the screen too. As far as what biblical marriage is. Biblical marriage is sacrificing and submitting out of reverence for Christ. Biblical marriage is sacrificing and submitting out of reverence for Christ. Now, what are we talking about here? Why does Jesus go back to the beginning? Here's the part, right, that matters. The idea of marriage, right? So, it says, and this is where I like the King James Version better. Because it says... In our version here, it says, He says, He made them male and female, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. In the King James, it says cleave. They leave and they cleave. So the idea is that now I am leaving. I'm leaving my separate life. My, my just Jared's personal goals, personal ambitions. I'm willing to put all that on the table. My spouse-to-be, Julie now, willing to put all that on the table, merge together, cleave together, like bonded together. And then that's like now the way we're going to go through life. That's the intent. The intent was to be a permanent bond. I don't know how many of you have ever worked with like, um, maybe working on the house, and maybe crazy glue, Maybe something like liquid nails, right? And you put maybe two pieces of plywood together. Liquid nail it, you know. Get stuck together. And if you go to tear those apart, the only way you are able to tear that apart is it comes off unclean. Like there's pieces over on this side and there's pieces on that side. It's not a clean tear. It is painful. They are stuck. And that's the idea. It's supposed to be a permanent cleaving bond. Not meant to be broken at all. That was the idea. That was the intent. And that's why, right, the marriage ceremony, forsaking all others, I'm giving up every other choice for the rest of my life for this one choice right now. It's heavy duty. To love, honor, and cherish for better or for worse till death do us part. Like, irreconcilable differences doesn't really fit in there. It's just not there. Because marriage, right, is intended to be a padlock. Not like a ball and chain type deal. But a padlock, right, that you lock it down, protect it, that is it. It's my marriage. I cleave to this person. I've given up all of myself to be with this other person. And hopefully that person is doing it too. So now the difficulty is, right, when we don't know we're doing that at the altar. That's the difficulty. 
And sometimes we won't find out till later till we actually uh, what it actually meant. And that's where the issue of commitment comes in. That's where it becomes difficult. So the goal, the focus, like we said, biblical marriage, sacrificing and submitting out of reverence for Christ. So here is, right, the big picture, the big idea here. In Ephesians 5.21, and I can't remember if I put it up here or not. I did. So that's the verse that's... where this is coming from. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, the idea with marriage. Since God invented it, He's the creator of it, the only way, biblical marriage, right? So, if we're talking, if we're going to use the Bible, biblical marriage only works the best per doctor orders, God's orders, the ultimate physician. It works the best when He is at the center. So, Julie and I, our marriage is going to be biblically sound. Not perfect, not carefree, not stress-free. But biblically sound. When her and I are submitting to each other, not necessarily because we love each other so much. We're not submitting to each other because of our kids. We are submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ because God says so. And I remember having a conversation, you know, with the guy at work and we're talking about marriage and, and stuff like that. And we were talking about homosexual marriage, you know, at that point. And I was surprised. Nobody actually filled that one in um, on the Facebook thing, but I don't think anybody saw the poll because it's on the cell phone. But because, but you know, I wanted to talk about that. So, you know, we'll probably get to that next week. Um, so we're talking about marriage and he goes, you know, Jared, you shouldn't need some religion, you know, to... To tell you that you need to love your wife. I, I said, yeah, you know, you shouldn't. I said, but how many people do you know have said that they've fallen out of love or things have gotten difficult or maybe they're tempted, you know, with other people? It's just what happens. And if life gets the unheard of type things that happen, somebody gets sick, um, unplanned scenarios, you know, take place, it's just not that, oh, I just, you know, love them. Sometimes you need more than that. Because every fiber of your being does not want to be married. And I can personally tell you uh, that Julie and I have had that conversation several times. Babe, if I wasn't a Christian, if we weren't Christians, I wouldn't stick this out. This guy's honest truth. I mean, that's real, that's real conversation, you know? Because it just, it, it, it's just like, oh, this is a, this is a lot of work. God. To do it the right way, right? To submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is a lot of work. I have to, like, put all of this, and I didn't understand all of it at the altar, right? I'm just like everybody else. I didn't understand. And so, I can also tell you confidently today that our marriage is in the best place it's ever been. That's a praise God right there. But seriously, that's a praise God, for real. Because we've had that conversation, and it, and it has been serious. And there's been days like, you know, we didn't want to come home and see each other. Zero patience. Zero graciousness. Just trying to make sure she meet my needs. You know, she, I've been doing this. You know, is she going to reciprocate? It's bad news. That's not the way to do it. 
Because at the altar, what I am saying is, and I'm marrying a couple um, on July in a few weeks. Um, you all right? <laughs> married a couple on, in, a, in a few weeks. Uh, in New Jersey, uh, kid, uh, I had a chance to coach. And it's so cool to like, be able to you know, coach these guys. And This is the second guy I've coached. I get to marry now. It's just awesome. It's awesome. So I told him, I said, we got to get a basketball game you know, while we're down there. Um, but, um, but I told him, I said, you know, in the premarital counseling stuff, so you understand, like at that altar, what you're doing is you're saying that you're putting yourself aside completely and what your love means, biblically, is that now you're just there to just serve and make her life better. Whether you get something in return or not. That's huge. That's not the type of love that we would hear about, you know, in the secular. And I think it's right, you know, to have conversations with the spouse and say, hey, listen, like, things are getting rough here. I, I feel like, you know, we're disconnected, you know, we're isolated, and, you know, my feelings are getting hurt. Those, those conversations should happen. But we cannot, right, get caught up in the fact that maybe our needs don't get met. Because at the altar, I said, man, for better, for worse, I'm going to serve you with a self sacrificing love. That's what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And then hopefully, right, that's what she's saying. For the rest of her life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you out of reverence for Christ. Try and make your life better. Whatever happens, you know, in my life happens. I'm, I'm here for you. That's love. That's biblical love. And the reason why it's like that is because the model... Biblically, for marriage is the way Christ loved the church. He didn't get anything. What did he get in return? What he got in return was a crown of thorns. He gets a cross. He gets deserted. He gets abandoned. He picks us up. What kind of trade-off is that? Right? How can you not like it? What a trade-off. So, you got to think marriage is going to be looking like that. Big time. I can barely see that. Right? That's what, marriage has to look, look like that. That has to take place. It's what it's birthed in. That's what it's founded in. And kind of the quote is, you know, somebody's got to die first. Somebody's got to die first. And it's usually, it's got to come down to the man. Hopefully the man takes the role takes the initiative on that one and says, I'm going to die first. Serve my wife. To hold her up. To hold that family up. Because God is the head over me and that's what He says to do. Right? That's the goal. That's what marriage is. That's the goal. That's it right there. Submission and surrender out of reverence for Christ. So what typically happens, maybe, when a couple doesn't really think about the question. So I've been around other couples, you know, it's like, you know, what do you think about marriage? You know, what do you want to do? I don't know, you know, we loved each other, you know, we've been committed for a while. Probably just going to kind of be the same. Maybe get better, you know, it'll get tough, but, you know, just sort of, you know, see what happens. I know a lot of couples like that. But the difficulty comes up in things like this. 
Uh, if you go thinking, uh, go along thinking, everything's going to be okay, and that love will take care of everything. Like, what about where you're going to spend the holidays? You know, like that's a big source of like arguing a lot of time. You know, where you're going to spend the holidays, right? That's something we got to talk about. How do you want to discipline your kids? Right? That's that can be that could be a tough one. What types of values do you want in the house? And how do you want to raise your kids and discipline your kids within those values? Because then how you approach the marriage and your relationship will get reflected with what comes after that. And if it's sort of foggy and clear up here, you better believe by the time it gets to the little ones and they get older, it's going to be kind of foggy. And they won't know what to think. How are you going to handle finances? Right? So people just, you know, is, is it just our money? Do we just do what we want? Is it just going after our own happiness? Or do we understand that, are we going with the thought process that God just let us hold on to this money for a while and He may ask for a lot back at one time? Or should we be faithful with it? You know, all these things matter. So that's what marriage is, right? There's a lot there. It is tough. And in fact, the disciples, you know, later on, they're like, who could do this? You know, who could do this? This is tough stuff. So that was the first question. What is marriage? Essentially, sacrificing and submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. And our Bible verse for that, Ephesians 5.21, right? So you got the place in there for the bulletin. Question number two. What does God say about divorce, right? So here's the big question. What does God say about divorce? Let's take a look. Verse 7. So Jesus skips Moses, goes right back to God's intention. Verse 7, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So they're like, well, fine, if that was God's intention, then why did he tell Moses then that we could do this certificate thing? It's a fair question. Verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. So as I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So let's take a look at what that means. So what does God say about divorce? That fell in there in a the bulletin? It was never part of the original intention. That's what he says right away. It was never part of the original plan. That wasn't it. So why did Moses give this certificate? He said because their hearts were hard. They weren't open to, they weren't living in a place um, that where they were fully surrendered to God and what God had for them. They just weren't. As a nation, they just weren't. Scary. And so God had given them this opportunity Right to do this certificate of divorce. And then Jesus goes on to further clarify, which is very interesting here. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So what happens? Right? What happens... If that's a couple, right? So a couple divorces, except for marital unfaithfulness, right? So what, is that, what does that mean, marital unfaithfulness, right? So the word there, right, in Greek, pornea. 
um, signifying some sort of uh, sexual, physical affair with someone else. If that happens, there is an allowance for divorce. But, big but, it is not a mandate to be divorced. Big difference. Big difference. In that case allowed. If it has nothing to do with that, then you can't do it. There's just no opportunity. There's just not. That's biblically what he's saying there. In fact, he says, you know what? If you divorce someone and then marry somebody else, you've actually committed adultery. So if somebody else divorces, right? It's not because of marital unfaithfulness. You know, what if it's like, um, um, you know, what if it was like physically, you know, abusing them and taking advantage of them? You know, um, I would say that also, you know, falls into the category because never anywhere in the scriptures does it say that you just uh, uh, stay in a relationship where you can be physically dominated and just punished and not at all the case, right? Not at all the case. So if they're alive and they're willing to live with you and they're not beating your brains out, you stay married. That's it. That's what he says. It's not easy to hear. So then what happens then to that man or that woman that maybe remarries? Are they just like in this adulterous you know, marriage? And like there's this unpardonable, unforgivable sin of adultery? Well, that's certainly not the case. Now, they could certainly, and they are certainly, guilty of adultery, as Jesus said. They're guilty of sin. They are. And it's both parties, right? It takes two parties to do that. But it is nowhere by any means unforgivable or unpardonable. Not at all. And it's not like uh, that just stays with us forever. Now, label no more so than if somebody, uh, you know, were to quit, um, you know, being a drunk or maybe like a, a you know, a drug addict that, that doesn't stay with them for their whole lives. It's not the way that works. Just like our sins of selfishness, of greed. That doesn't stay with us. When we come and we repent to God, it says that He is faithful and just and forgives us. Like, that's the good news. And so if that couple that may be remarried, and they say, oh, it's wrong what we did. We shouldn't have done that. We should have stuck it out. We should have tried to do whatever we could possibly, exhausted all resources, everything we could have possibly done, and just never quit. That's what God expected us to do, and we didn't do it. They got to come and, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I will not do that now, currently, in this marriage. I'll be faithful. And the Bible says, you know, they are forgiven. And it's not like an easy pass card, you know. It, repentance, right? Like they truly saw it in their heart. God has made it aware to them. And now they're responding to it. So it's not like this unforgivable, unpardonable sin. But as far as the Bible is concerned, 
get divorced? You have the option if there's marital unfaithfulness, but it doesn't even have to happen. Then I know other couples who have had marital unfaithfulness and they've stuck it out and now they are married. In fact, uh, a few years ago, one couple um, that used to go here and they moved down South North Carolina, they shared their story. How there was marital unfaithfulness there. Um, and it took them uh, about six years, you know, really to, to really work through it. And, um, and, you know, at that point in time when uh, they, they shared their story, their marriage was, you know, better than it's ever been, you know. But um, for her, you know, he initiated, I believe, the, the first sort of infidelity uh, move. At that point, you know, she has a choice. The Bible says, like, you know, I, I could. I'm allowed to without it being sin. But she's like, no, you know, I want to. For her, she said, I wanted to push through. It wasn't right. I felt like he was really repentful. I said, and you just trusted him? She's like, I trusted God. That's not everybody's story. But that was her story, right? So what does God say about divorce? Basically, you can't do it, right? Just can't do it. It's just not an option. So is divorce okay? The title of the message, right? Is divorce okay? It's allowed in a particular situation. Other than that, man, what happens up here? What God joins together, <laughs> we can't take that thing apart. Because whether we know it or not, and that's why it's so important. I talk to some couples like, yeah, why, why do you want the church you know, involved in this thing? And, when you say you're married, like God is joining you guys together. That whole one flesh thing is goes way beyond having sex. Like He's joining you somehow spiritually together, and that will be worked out in the course of time. But He's joining together at the altar, one flesh. It starts then, and then we're gonna say, Nah, you know, it doesn't work out. Irreconcilable. We can't really hash this thing out. Yeah. It doesn't work like that doesn't work. So what does God say about divorce? It was never part of the original intention. And do whatever we can to stay in it. Exhaust all resources. Quit all things. To just focus on it, if it is an issue. So last question. What if a couple falls out of love? Right? Because that's a big one, right? So we, we, you, And you mentioned that one. So what if a couple falls out of love? Because you thought maybe that was one of the big reasons, right, that they get divorced. So what if a couple falls out of love? And that's a popular one. So you read um, um, a lot of therapists, um, and one of the, the biggest issues that they hear is that, you know, we've fallen out of love. We've fallen out of love. So the big issue is, like, what is love? There are lots of songs, right? And articles and everything about that, and you can write a poem or whatever and throw your two cents in there. But uh, what is it? It's pretty hard to identify and put into words. And figure out exactly what love is. Because how can you tell when you're just like infatuated or, or really like them? You know, what is really... What is it? Like, what is this thing? How can I tell if I really love... Especially if it's like the first time. And if they're your kids, you know? How would you explain to them what love is? And what it looks like? And how it feels? It's, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Biblical love. Which is the part we're focusing on. Not necessarily secular love, but biblical love. It's a mixture of passion, intimacy, and commitment. Passion, intimacy, and commitment. So early on, 
couple could be very passionate. And they could be very intimate. It comes easy. As you stay married a little bit longer, continue to go through intimacy, starts to get a little more difficult. It like becomes work, kind of. Passion isn't like red hot, maybe like it used to be. But then hopefully there's that commitment there, you know, holding it, you know, together. And like these three things, always working together. And biblical love is very clearly illustrated and, and given to us in 1 Corinthians 13. You hear it at every wedding. Or a lot of weddings anyways, not every wedding, but a lot of weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. Patient, right? Self-seeking, not easily angered. That entire chapter. It's a lot of very difficult things. So, here's the easy biblical answer for a couple, right, that supposedly has fallen out of love, right? The easy biblical answer is that sometimes our hearts have to catch up with our minds. Sometimes our hearts have to catch up with our minds. And that's what we have, and we can throw it up there. Sometimes our hearts have to catch up with our minds. And that's for the fill in there in the bulletin. So what do I mean by that? Well, Matthew 6, uh, 21. And you could flip there if you want. You could go backwards. You don't have to. But we'll take a look there. Here's what I mean. Matthew 6, 21. Here's what it says. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever I'm treasuring, valuing, my heart will get there. Now, whatever I treasure, right? That starts in my mind, what I'm treasuring, what I think is important, what I think is valuable. And that could come from whatever contexts around me, whatever reference points around me, whatever influences my life can help determine kind of what's important to me and it's up here and then I think that that's valuable. You know, there's treasure associated to that. And what happens is when somebody becomes a Christian and they put faith in Christ, what they're doing now is they're walking this life of faith to where they might think some things are treasure and valuable and might even feel it but at some times God says that's not the case and you can't trust those feelings because marriage heavily focuses on commitment not so much about emotion and so Julie and I have that conversation and we are just feeling like this is just too much work I don't want to do this. You know, we don't like each other. We're fighting all the time. This is difficult. Feels like you just want to call it quits. But then, if my treasure is what God says to be obedient to Him, if that's my treasure and every fiber of my being is like running the other way, I got to follow my head, follow the treasure, and what will happen? My heart will eventually start to catch up to where I placed my treasure. So I start to fall out of love. Man, start trying to do anything we can to start getting back into love. Start talking real nice. Start making meals. 
Start being super patient. Start like leaving flowers, leaving notes. And our fibers would be like, she doesn't deserve it. You shouldn't do it. Da, 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 da. All this stuff would be going on. And then even like friends and like people around us would be like, they're not worth it. Don't do it. Like, no, no. This is what marriage is. Like, for whatever reason, this is where we're at. I gotta do this. My treasure isn't what God says. He'll handle the details. It's big time. Sometimes and then our heart, you know, will catch up. Because biblical love is anchored in self-sacrifice for the sake of the other. Biblical love is anchored in self-sacrifice for the sake of the other person. So to close here. Let's be, right? Here's the close. Here's the one thing we definitely want to take away about marriage and divorce. Again, we didn't cover certainly all aspects of it, but at least a decent chunk and, and through the passage. So let's be intentional and strategic about treasuring the most supernatural relationship we'll ever be a part of. It's a lot of words I just said there. Intentional, strategic, treasure, supernatural relationship. That's what we want to do. Being married is supernatural. God makes it one. Man, we've got to treasure that thing. When everything else is trying to put a wedge in it, So one, one helpful application that we could all do that would be helpful, right? For those uh, people that are married or something we could even pray for other people that we know are married, that are struggling. One helpful application to think about is what is one thing I can do today to bless my spouse's day? That will certainly get us headed in the right direction. That will at least help us get us toward treasuring our other half, right? The spouse. What's just one thing I can do? Imagine, you know, just wake up each day. There's one thing I could do just bust their socks off. And I'm not going to make it a point to be a jerk about it and really tell them about it and emphasize it, you know, but what's one thing I could just bless their socks off with today? I might get recognition. I might not. It's helpful. It's one thing to do. I know it helps me out. It's, it's not easy, especially depending on the day. And what's going on? So what we're going to do is, um, if you would like, uh, you could take communion. I'll pass out uh, communion. And while I'm passing it out, um, we'll play a Jesus paid it all because that really summarizes up uh, communion. So I'll pass it out. Um, you could take that if you'd like. Hold on to it. And then, uh, and then we'll take it together.